This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. We have made it to the end of another week. Not that there's much to differentiate one from the next, except maybe for the disturbing surge in the number of cases and the number of deaths. The governors of New York and New Jersey, the two hardest-hit states, announced plans to commandeer medical equipment to supply exhausted hospitals. The weekend arrives with nearly the entire country under some kind of stay-at-home order and 10 million people out of work. The president's top economic advisor said it's only going to get worse. And yet, we are one day closer to the end of this. Dr. Summer McGee joins us now from the University of New Haven, where she's dean of the School of Health Sciences. So, Dr. McGee, where are we? We are a country that is rapidly running out of medical supplies and equipment. I think we are seeing that the hit to our healthcare system is much more severe than we could have anticipated. And many of the things that we were relying on and hoping were going to sustain us through this time, like a national stockpile of equipment, aren't really panning out. And so I think that many states are feeling now that they are on their own to try to deal with the lack of resources and the things that um, they're being faced with. And so I think where we are right now is that we are really seeing that the patchwork quilt that we call our American healthcare system has really failed us. And that, you know, when we have states having bidding wars for ventilators and Robert Kraft is flying the Patriots plane to China to get masks, it's absolutely crazy. How soon should we have started all of the preparations that really have only started in the last couple of weeks? If we had started preparing back in January and early February, began stockpiling, stopped sending our masks and other equipment overseas, if we had taken this much more seriously, we'd be in a very different place today. If we had put in place national lockdown measures three, four weeks ago, when we saw what was happening in Italy and other countries, our curve would be much more flat. And we just didn't take those measures. I think we thought this was a problem that other countries had and that America would somehow be immune. And we've tragically learned that we uh, were not immune and, in fact, now are the hardest-hit country in the world. Okay. Best guess right now is that the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, are going to peak sometime in the mid to later part of this month. Is that your assessment? I think we are looking at a peak in in mid-April for this hot zone area in the tri-state area. I think that is right, but I also think we are going to continue to see severe strain and a high level of cases in our hospitals throughout the rest of April into May and potentially even June. So this is is not going to be over anytime soon. And then, of course, we're going to see that there are going to be clusters of cases and major cities hit. We're now seeing that in Detroit. We're seeing it in Chicago. And then I think the next wave is going to be across the southwest. We see there there are very few restrictions on travel and social distancing uh, in those parts of the country. And so I, I fear that's the next big wave. So we may see a peak in one region and things begin to decline, but I'm pretty certain that we're going to see that continue across the country for quite some time. A lot of the politicians have faced the question, how are we going to know when we're done? But as an epidemiologist, how are we going to know when we're done? 
Knowing when we're done, um, I think really depends on what you mean by done. Um, of course, there will be a time when we're all able to come back out of our houses and, and resume a somewhat normal life. But I also think that American society has changed forever. I think that we will, even after we have treatments available, even after we have a vaccine for this, we are going to see an increased reliance on remote work. We're going to see an increased emphasis on hand hygiene, probably on wearing masks when we're sick and being more like some of the Asian countries where that is a norm. I think that, you know, returning to normal life is going to mean um, that, of course, we will we will get back to business. But it's also going to mean, I think, that forever our human health behaviors have changed and we're going to be much more vigilant as a society about being sick. I think that we now will take a much different attitude toward when someone is sick. We used to say, oh, power through it and come to work. You know, you got to get your work done. I think now as a society, we're going to say if people are sick, whether it's with a cold or the flu, stay home stay away from everyone, keep everyone else healthy. I think those are societal attitudes that are going to change, that we're going to see at, at the tail end of this when we come out of this, that um, people are going to think differently about infectious disease. What's one thing, the most important thing, that either we don't know or, or we don't know enough well, I think we certainly don't know enough about um, the level of immunity that people have, even if they have been exposed and people who have had mild cases. We just don't have enough scientific evidence to understand whether people can be reinfected and what the potential second wave that we're considering may happen this fall, what that's going to look like. Are people going to get as sick? And we just don't have the science yet because this is a novel coronavirus. We just don't have any of the historical knowledge that we can draw on with things like influenza and other types of diseases. So I think there are people out there that hope, well, eventually we're going to get to a point where there's some herd immunity or we're going to be able to have uh, conveyed immunity through exposure and the second wave won't be as bad as the first. But the fact of the matter is we just don't know. So we may be looking at in another five or six months, another wave of this that could be just as as serious as the one we're currently in. There's still a lot of scientific understanding that we don't have about this virus and what's likely to come in the next 18 months before we get a vaccine. So many questions and so much yet to learn. Dr. Summer McGee, the Dean of the School of Health Sciences at the University of New Haven. At least there is now a bit of relief because as of now, small business owners can start applying for a loan And if they agree to keep their workers working, they don't have to pay back that loan. So let's talk to someone taking advantage of that new policy. Michael Shemtov is a restaurateur in Charleston, South Carolina. Michael, you were telling us you had a restaurant friend up this way in New York tell you how bad things were going to get. I think it was a Sunday or something like that. And I was starting to come face to face with what it was going to mean for our restaurant. And he, he told me Monday was a normal day. Tuesday was down like 10 to 20 percent. Wednesday was down 30 percent plus. By Friday, we fired all non-essential staff. He told you that before anyone else? He told me that on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, and we had a totally normal day of sales. But I knew that we were three, four days away from that fall off the cliff. So how have you decided who to let go and who to keep? So about two weeks ago, we shut uh, most of our restaurants down, the ones that we've uh, kept open, have continued to be open for the past two weeks, but we've been operating in a very limited way. 
It was really rough. The initial decision, we have to close and 90 plus percent of the payroll has to go immediately uh, or within a week uh, was was really tough. And then the, the next few days were just a slow attrition of the rest of the staff. So we thought, for example, we could keep all the management team together. Um, and a day or two later, it became clear that actually we wouldn't be able to do that. But why not? The government says we'll give you free money if you keep your workers on. Well, none of these loans have funded yet. In fact, the, the, the stimulus loans are just now becoming open for application. Uh, and our bankers have told us it might be three or four weeks before those fund. And without those funds, uh, simply put, almost every restaurant in the country is not able to keep their payroll without having funds coming in. You're a successful restaurateur, but is there a date circled on your calendar for when the survival of the business is actually in jeopardy? Well, I'll give you an answer that might surprise you, but that, that date is July 1st, because if if myself and others apply for the stimulus funds, which they ex- we expect that there will be tremendous demand for, so there's a real fire under all of us restaurateurs to go ahead and apply now. But we only have eight weeks to spend that money, and we have to do it by June 30th. And so what happens on July 1st? What happens if we're not reopened? What happens if we're not back to 100% of sales? What happens if July this year is 30% or 50% of last year's July sales? What happens to all my staff then once I brought them all back on, restored all of their health benefits so that I can get full forgiveness under the loan? Now what do I do on July 1st? So that, that's the date that's, that's on all of our minds. Michael Shemtoff, who owns several successful restaurants in Charleston, South Carolina, one small business owner trying to survive. Coming up, we're going to answer more of your questions about coronavirus with our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. I'm Aaron Katursky. You're listening to an ABC News special. You're listening to an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. With me now is ABC Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Jen Ashton. As always, Dr. Jen, we focus on the facts, and it seems like everyone outside now is wearing masks. The problem is getting your hands on one these days. What do we need to know about the need for masks? Amy, this is arguably the biggest story of the day and the week now, and we are waiting to see if the CDC officially changes its recommendations for the general public. But let's start with what we know. We know right now that masks of any kind, personal protective equipment, are an incredibly short supply and desperately needed for first responders and healthcare workers. Uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital here in New York City estimates that they're going through 50,000 masks a day. That's their burn rate. We also know that in general, those surgical masks or face shields, even cloth ones, are effective at trapping viral particles in. So I want to be clear here. This change in policy is not to protect the person wearing the mask. It's to protect those around us. Yeah. And in terms of what we think we know, you just touched on the effectiveness of masks. What do we think we know right now about that? 
so there is so much controversy in the medical literature about this. But when you talk about the theories, there is a, th a theory that it may lower the spread of virus. So the other way that we're referring to that as source control, you're going to hear that term a lot. We don't know how efficient cloth masks or these DIY home versions, even scarves or bandanas are at filtering particles from going out into the environment. And we also don't know right now the benefits versus the risks. We think that the benefits at this point in the middle of a pandemic do outweigh the risks, which are using it incorrectly, touching your face more and loosening up on those social distancing measures that are so important. You touched on this. There is still a lot we don't know. And that includes whether or not we should all be wearing masks. Exactly. And large under the category of what we don't know, Amy, is whether or not sanitizing these masks, reusing them affects their function. We're going to hear a lot more about that. We also don't know how far the coronavirus viral particles travel in the air just with talking or laughing or breathing. And I want to just point out to people, because there's such an interest in this, Amy, there is a great source of scientific data that I posted yesterday on my Instagram. It came out of SIDRAP, which is the big infectious disease society. So people can look at my Instagram, go click on the link and read that post for a lot of information. But again, evolving, changing in medicine and science, we continue to reassess what we know, reevaluate so we can adapt and pivot. And we are expecting to see that, you know, anytime now. All right. Dr. Jen Ashton, I know you'll be on top of it. We'll be checking back in with you shortly. In the meantime, we turn now to ABC's Kira Phillips, who's in Washington, D.C., with all of the latest headlines for the day. Hi, Amy. Well, here are the major developments. USA Today out with an investigation revealing that the U.S. Ex exported millions of masks and ventilators just ahead of the coronavirus crisis. New trade data analysis indicates U.S. exports to China of surgical masks, ventilators and personal protective gear appears to have skyrocketed in January and February, with American companies selling more than $57 million in goods that would become scarce in this country just when we needed it most. And a new ABC Ipsos poll shows fewer than half of Americans believe their routine will get back to normal by June. More than nine out of 10 people say the coronavirus outbreak has disrupted their lives. And with at least 44 states now on some sort of virtual lockdown, the nation's top infectious disease expert says every state should be under a stay-at-home order. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying in an interview, quote, I don't understand why that isn't happening. And star quarterback Tom Brady, now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, teaming up with Wheels Up to donate 10 million meals to families in need during this virus outbreak. Kira, thank you so much. Well, right yeah. now, we want to honor the life of the legendary musician Ellis Marsalis Jr., who passed away this week from pneumonia caused by the coronavirus. The award-winning teacher and jazz pianist leaves behind an unforgettable legacy. His son, Branford Marsalis, is here with us now from New Orleans. And Branford, thank you for joining us, first of all. But we are so sorry for your loss. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. I want to I want to start by having you talk a little bit about your father's passion for music. And it was just January of this year that he wrapped up a three decades long weekly performance run in New Orleans. Yeah, I can't imagine him uh, being anything else hmm. other than a, a musician and, a, and an educator. 
musician first. Uh, he he eventually, I, actually, I remember the day that he decided he was, because he was playing with uh, Al Hurt, who was a very successful trumpeter in the 60s, in the early 70s. And while he was on the road, he grew a beard. <clears throat> and when he came home, I wouldn't open the door because there was that strange man with a beard. <laughs> and my mother looked in the people and said, that's your father. I said, that's not my father. He has a beard. And my, my dad kind of sat us down and said, you know, I'm going to take some time off of the road. And he got a teaching job because he was gone so much that we didn't really recognize him. And uh, basically, he stayed home from the time I was nine and, and, until his death. Wow. And he was a teacher at heart. He obviously sparked something in you and your siblings, four out of the six of you becoming musicians. And then with the Ellis Marsalis Center for Music, your father did so much for so many underserved children. Talk about what that legacy means to you and how you are continuing it now in this crisis. We, 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 we all wound up becoming somewhat educators, doing a lot of master classes and talking to a lot of students and sharing recordings and uh, talking a lot about the philosophy of playing music. And uh, the Ellis Marcellus Center uh, is uh, something that my dad is most proud of. It's kind of like in a way his, his crowning achievement because the goal is to basically uh, educate children through music, not to produce musicians per se. And he was just getting ready to start uh, an, an orchestra uh, right before he died. He was all, it's one of those things that really in the last 10 years, he was constantly focused on the center and what he could do to provide more information to the kids. And uh, uh, I was happy that my good friend Harry Connick Jr. and I uh, were able to raise enough funds to, to make that happen for him. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Harry Connick Jr. because your father obviously uh, influenced and nurtured Harry Connick Jr., uh, Terrence Blanchard, so many others. And Harry Connick Jr. said this in a tweet. Among the countless lessons Ellis Marcellus taught me, the most important was the process of discovery. He already knew everything I was trying to learn, but he always made me figure things out for myself. He was a grand master educator, and I'm sure you couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's pretty much him in a nutshell. And what do you want to remind people? What will his legacy be, and, and how can you continue it going forward? Well, the... Most of us will continue his legacy through deeds more so than words. Mm. But uh, the, the one thing, particularly now, the, the, the one thing that uh, I would want people to know about his legacy is uh, uh, even if you're sheltering in place, the coronavirus can get to you. Yeah. And you really need to take serious precautions, even when family members are coming by. Uh, wash hands, wear masks. Uh, distance, all these things are very important right now. And uh, hopefully by June, uh, we can be on the other side of this calamity so we can have the biggest party in the world for my dad. Oh, and that would certainly be a beautiful thing. Branford Marsalis, we are thinking of you and your family. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. 
We have much more ahead right here on what you need to know. That historic hike in the unemployment ranks and the financial checklist, the first steps to take if you are out of work right now. Plus, managing the intense worry that comes with all of this money anxiety. Our Dan Harris is back with ways to manage it all. Listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. Welcome back. In the last week, the number of Americans filing for unemployment skyrocketed to 6.6 million. That is the highest in U.S. history, surpassing the number of jobless Americans during the Great Recession. Here to give us some insight on our next Money Moves is personal finance expert Farnoosh Tarabi. Farnoosh, welcome back. Last time you were here, you said one of the first things people should do when they get laid off is, of course, file for that unemployment. Certainly seems like people did just that. So what is the next step? Well, the next step, I think there's two next steps, Amy. I think first, if you were under the assumption that you would not qualify for unemployment, since I was here last time, things have changed. We have that $2 trillion stimulus package now, right? And that is now going to allow us to extend unemployment to people like gig workers, freelancers, temp workers, people who've been furloughed, who may not have normally qualified for their state's uninsure, uh, unemployment benefits, but now they can. And they'll also get that additional $600 a week week from the government. So first step is don't assume that you won't qualify for unemployment because things are changing. Secondly, I want everyone to prioritize health insurance. Very, very important. If you've been furloughed, your company may actually allow you to continue your health benefits. You'd have to still pay for that. But right now is not a good time to be giving up health insurance. And if you if you are unemployed, you can get it through two ways. You can continue the coverage that your employer was providing you, that group insurance through COBRA. You can get it for an extra three years. Um, you have to, of course, pay for that, and it's not cheap. But health insurance, again, is just something that I, if you can prioritize your budget right now, I would say it's health insurance is an absolute need. You must find a way to pay for this. And that certainly makes sense given what we're all facing right now. Now, for people who are trying right. to find jobs, there are certain uh, places of employment that are hiring right now, correct? Correct. So we've heard from various companies and think about the industries that are actually growing right now, right? It's obvious places like food companies, Walmart and Kroger have already announced that they're going to be increasing their workforce. Delivery service companies, Amazon announcing 100,000 employees, both in its factories and also on the front lines delivering packages. Telecommuting software. A lot of us are, of course, not at work and we're communicating through programs like Skype and Zoom. Zoom and Slack, these companies are also growing. So thinking about, you know, in times of contraction, there are also businesses that are growing based on what is the current need. And and you'll be you'll find opportunities that way. All right. And we have a question from Darlene in Hampstead, New York. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Darlene Smith. I work for the town of Hempstead Parks Department as an independent contractor teaching group fitness at the parks. All the parks have been closed. I'm out of work now for about two and a half weeks. My question to you is what bills do I pay first? I have rent and other expenses, and I don't want to ruin my credit. Right. So 
Paying your bills on time is the most important factor for healthy credit. But right now, we know that a lot of billers are being flexible. Thankfully, credit card companies, if you call them and tell them that you've been furloughed or you've lost your job or income has been compromised, they may be able to defer your payments for a couple of months, get rid of interest, get rid of fees. This should not negatively impact your credit report, but you absolutely do want to ask that question and get it in writing just to have as a backup because things are still uncertain. But my honest opinion is that I don't think this is going to impact our credit. Same goes for your landlord. Call your landlord. Be proactive. And honesty is the best policy right now, Amy. Everybody's experiencing some sort of economic um, pain right now. So telling people that you have lost your job, there's no shame in that. And that you can't pay your bills, there's no shame in that. Talk, Ask your landlord about how you might be able to negotiate to bring down your rent for a couple of months or perhaps defer your payments until you're back on your feet. Yeah, that's great advice. You got to work the phones right now. Farnoosh Tarabi, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Sure. The pandemic is changing how we live our daily lives and particularly testing us when it comes to our faith and our financial well-being. The economic havoc is real and it's affecting millions of people across this country. So here to help us navigate these times and show us how a mindful approach can help ease our financial worries is the anchor of Weekend GMA and 10% Happier author Dan Harris. Also, we called you a meditation master, so you will... Uh... <laughs> they may overstate the case slightly. <laughs> uh, an amateur meditator. All right, how about that? We'll take the titles. They're very very sure. well earned. Um, so you actually have some simple tips for handling money worries. And the yeah. first one is to do a reset. Break that down for us. Yeah, let me just be very clear. None of these tips, I think the, all these tips are useful, but none of them are going to magically make your financial concerns go away. I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat this in any way. But the first one is a reset. This is going to sound a little bit like something your mom may have told you when you were a kid and you were losing it, but take a deep breath. There is a ton of science that shows that taking a deep breath resets the nervous system. And then once you're a little calmer, you might be able to attack your financial concerns in a more effective way. And if you do the deep breath and you're still frantic, maybe now is not the right time to be thinking strategically about your finances. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Your next tip, get some perspective. Sounds great, but how do we do it? Okay. Two things to keep in mind. One is this is not your fault. One of the really, really dangerous things about financial concerns is that we tend to layer shame on top of them. But you have to remember, this is the result, this pandemic and the resulting economic crisis, this is a result of factors that are way outside of our control. So shame is really not helpful. The other thing to keep in mind is you're not alone. Tens of millions of us are in the same situation, worrying about our finances. You are not in this by yourself. I love that. I think that's so important for us all to give ourselves a break in those yes. moments because it does compound the anxiety when you're blaming yourself. Yes. Um, your next tip, ask for help. Sounds easy, hard to do oftentimes. Yeah, look, I don't want to sugarcoat this either. It's hard for many of us to ask for help. But one of the beautiful things about this crisis, and you've been covering it here on this show, is that there are so many people willing to help right now. So lean on your community. It doesn't mean you need to ask for money, but you can ask for a sympathetic ear. And we've got generosity as your next tip. Yeah, so this is this is going to sound counterintuitive. When we feel disempowered and impoverished, to give away stuff sounds counterintuitive, but it actually can knock you out of this feeling yep. of powerlessness. And it doesn't have to be a big, grand, expensive gesture. It can be small donations to charities. It can be acts of service for your neighbors. This can really change your mindset. I totally agree. And your last one is gratitude. How can we practice gratitude? Again, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I don't want to pretend that the world is all rosy right now. But for most of us, I think there 
there are still small things for which we can feel grateful. Our health, if we have it, our family, our community, our pets, you name it. One simple trick taught to me by one researcher is every day, take two minutes to think of three good things that happened today. I love that. That can have really deep psychological benefit. We go around the dinner table and do that very thing. I love that. All right, Dan Harris, thank you as always for free mindfulness tools. You can go to Dan's website, 10percent.com, and there you will find a coronavirus sanity guide, which contains free guided meditations, including one specifically designed to help with those financial fears. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. Joining us now is our Dr. Jen Ashton to answer yet another great crop of smart questions about the COVID-19 crisis. And Dr. Jen, I'll start with the first one. Are migraine headaches Mm -hmm. a sign of anything COVID-related? The good news at this time, Amy, is the answer is no, but we're still learning about the symptomatology. We call it the phenotype of this disease, COVID-19. But so far, um, you know, I'm scouring the, the literature, the medical literature, nothing that's attaching migraine headaches to coronavirus. I know anytime any one of us gets any sort of symptom, you wonder, is this COVID-19? So that's important. People know that there's no correlation right now. This next question, do we know why the mortality rate is higher for men than women? There are a couple of theories we don't know yet, and people people are getting frustrated because we're saying we don't know a lot. But again, in medicine and science, it is so important to say what we don't know. First step is making an observation, and we are observing that at every age group, men have twice the mortality rate that women have. It's not clear why. One of the theories is that women have a more robust immune response and may be better able to fight the viral infection. Other uh, theories are that male behavior there are higher rates of obesity, high blood pressure, hypertension, things like that may increase their risk, but it's really unknown at this point. All right, our next question. As someone who wears glasses, should I wipe down my glasses every time I come inside? Glasses are a hotspot. Um, I actually did a literature search. There's a little bit of data where they've they've looked at the fomites, which is the bacterial viral parasite kind of congestion on eyeglasses. They're dirty, particularly the nose pad. It's not really recommended or known how to disinfect them. Just clean them. Soap, water, wipes, whatever. I mean, mine are just dirty all the time, but this is a hot spot, so you should clean them off. No, I know. That's very important. And again, something I didn't think of until now. Next question. (laughs) Are ultraviolet lights an effective way to sanitize high contact surfaces? They are. And in fact, we use them in the hospital in ORs. um, Usually at night, we turn on these UV lights Mm -hmm. and it kind of is really effective at killing a variety of bacteria and viral particles. There are even robots that can do this in hospitalized settings. So we might be seeing more of that technology used in home environments. No formal studies have been done showing whether UV devices that you can just buy and keep in your home wands or boxes uh, can kill this virus. It can kill other viruses. So Mm. the thinking is that it probably can, but it hasn't been formally studied yet. All right. Thank you, as always, Dr. Jen. 
Well, it is Faith Friday here at ABC, and we know now more than ever we could all use some inspiring words to keep our spirits high and lifted. And here to bring that motivation is award-winning film producer, New York Times best-selling author, and renowned preacher, Devon Franklin. Thank you so much, Devon. And you've quickly become a force on social media as well, adding to your accolades. You're helping to inspire, giving daily doses of faith every morning. Why is starting the day that way so important? Thanks so much for having me because, you know, Amy, here's the thing. Uh, the morning shows us how our day's going to go. Our day indicates how our week's going to go. Our week indicates how our, our month's going to go. And our month indicates how the year's going to go. And believe it or not, our year indicates how our life is going to mm. go. So it all starts in the morning. If we can just get people in the right spirit, in the right idea in the morning, it can not only shape their day, but it can actually shape their life. So I'm committed to helping as many people as I can start the day with the right spirit, the right motivation, the right mentality so that you can happen to the day and not just let the day happen to you. I love that. And you talk a lot about peace over panic and you started about the morning. Well, at night and everyone in my room this morning was talking about how last night we all felt panicked. All of the day's news headlines kind of descend upon you when you're about to go to bed. And I started to feel, you know, heaviness in my chest. And then you start worrying about what does this mean? I love peace over panic. But when you're feeling panicked, how do we actually choose peace over the panic? Yeah, okay, so this this is good. This is a really good question because, see, what we're panicking about are the things out of our control. You know, we're looking at the economy. We're looking at the unemployment rate. We're wondering when we can get back to work. We're wondering things will go back to normal. And, and let's be honest, those things are out of our control. So every time we try to control what's out of our control, that's where the panic comes in. So I'm not saying don't acknowledge that there is panic. But what I'm saying is let's make a different choice. Even in that panic, let's choose peace. Mm -hmm. What is peace? Peace is a focus on, okay, here's what I can control. I can control how I get up in the day. I can control how I, I handle my family. I may not have all the money I want, but I can control how I budget it. I may not have a job, but I can control doing a job search even in this time. So peace is saying, here's what I control, and I'm going to reconcile what I can't. And this is why I say peace over panic, because it's a consistent choice that I believe we have to just keep nourishing our spirit with so we don't allow the anxiety of what we can control disrupt what we really can control. I feel better already, Devon Franklin. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope everyone else out there feels better, too. Thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. We've been talking about the hits small businesses are taking right now. And now one entertainer has made it his business to keep owners afloat by teaming up with the social retail platform Talk Shop Live to launch the Save Small Business campaign. Here now to share how you can lend a helping hand is America's Got Talent judge, comedian, host and producer Howie Mandel. Howie, thanks for being with us. And before we get to this important campaign, I did want to check in with you because you've been very candid about your struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder, which for you, manifests as germophobia. So how are you handling your anxiety during this coronavirus pandemic? Well, my therapist is hand handling my anxiety by phone. My uh, <laughs> are up and uh, I'm spending time doing what I can in lockdown. You know, this is I feel like now it's become Howie's world. This has been going on in my mind for the last 
four years, and now it's a reality. It's a nightmare. And uh, the way I've gotten through it throughout my whole life is distraction. And now that we're on lockdown, that kind of inhibits distraction. So I've turned my focus and my energy into seeing what I can do, what little I can do to help. But we can all help and we can all do something if we can reach out and touch somebody else. And and uh, and, and no pun intended on touching. I don't touch. Yeah, yeah. But if we can... <laughs> help somebody else. And that's why I, you know, it, as it's serendipitous, because I was talking to Talk Shop Live before this ever happened, because I thought it was a great technology, a great technology and a great um, way. You know, I come from retail. I don't know if you know that, but before I was in comedy and before I was judging and before I had carpet stores. So my heart and soul is in small business and is in retail. And I know that that's the lifeblood of what makes this world run. These are the people that uh, that service us each and every day. This is where we get our products. These are the people that are paying taxes. These are the people that are buying tickets to my shows. And these are the people that are being hurt the most. So um, anything that we can do and we are doing I'm partnering with Talk Shop Live and multiple entrepreneurs or if you have great products, we'll be able to sell and then we'll they can compete against each other. But there's no losers. Everybody's winning because you're selling your product to the world through my uh, channel on Talk Shop Live. There's a buy button. It's all secure. It's all great. So I want I want to ask I want to put out a special uh, ask to people who have great products and, and you want to sell from the from the comfort of your own home on April 15th. Just submit a 60 second video of you and your product and you pitching it to soldoutlive.tv. I love it. And then I love next it. on April 15th on Talk Shop Live, we will, uh, you know, I don't know how many will be in the competition, but, uh, you know, at least more than one will be in the competition. You'll be selling your product. You'll be making money. It's win win for everyone. We'll be I'll help you. It'll be fun. I'll be hosting it. And uh, hopefully it'll put some bucks in the pockets of the people that Great. really need it. Howie will be helping out more small business owners on Shop Talk Live on April 15th. Howie Mandel, thank you so much. And that's what you need to know for this Friday. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.